listening to Good Morning, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humor. Welcome back to the Good Morning podcast. We are your hosts, Sal and Im. But before we jump into today's guest with the incredible Jessie Stevens, Sal, how are you? I am. Well, apart from being absolutely boiling and sweating because it is going to be a 38 degree day today in Sydney and my office is like floor to ceiling windows. It's like a sauna. Apart from that, I'm all right. We had our book launch, didn't we, last week, which was massive. And I don't know if I told you this, in, but I spent the evening crying and binging Magnum <laughs> ice cream, which wasn't quite how I imagined my evening of the day. One my... of the biggest moments of your life. Yeah, quite. But, you know, <laughs> these things, I think sometimes I was thinking a lot about my mum and it was it was quite emotional. It was so exciting, but it was also quite emotional. Apart from that, I'm fine. But maybe it's like those other milestones, you know, where you get to come down. Where it's like all this lead, the lead up and the anticipation. And then it's like, oh, now I can actually just take a moment and take a moment and eat all the Magnum ice creams. Um, That's hilarious. I know someone asked me, they're like, oh, what are you doing? Are you celebrating? I'm like, "Mm, not tonight. (laughs) I haven't got anything planned, but we must, we must celebrate. We absolutely must, but definitely not weeping into a pot of Magnum (laughs) ice cream is preferable. How are you Uh, doing, mate? I'm okay. Um, a bit drained, feeling a bit wiped. Um, yeah, I'm all right. I like that we show up here and we we're real. I'm not going to pretend that everything's great at the moment. Yeah, it's not. Everything's not great at the moment for me. But um, I'm excited about the book, and mm-hmm. I'm just trying to really strip things back. And someone said a great quote once, and it's like, "How do you eat the elephant?" And you eat the elephant one bite at a time. And I feel like, yeah, there's stuff in my life at the moment that just feels like a big giant elephant and everything feels really overwhelming. So I'm just going to eat one little bite at a time and not try and figure it all out at once because, yeah, it feels a bit impossible at the moment. But I'll be okay and I've been through some tough shit. So your girl's tough. (laughs) You are, that you are. And I like that analogy, eat the elephant And I also love that you can just show up and be 100% honest here. I think people really appreciate that because sometimes things are a bit shit and they're a bit hard and it's absolutely okay to just not be okay. Yeah, I just don't have it all figured out, Sal. And like I'm 30, how old am I? 35? Dude, none of us have just, a, none yeah. of us have it figured out. Can I just say, like anyone that says they've got everything like... figured out is, I think, lying out of yeah. their ass. None of us have it figured out. Some of us yeah. have some things figured out, but anyone who has <laughs> the whole suite of life things figured out, I like. Oh, what's your secret? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyone that out there that's listening that's got it figured out, could you let us know what's going on? Um, yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for being so honest, Im. I was scrolling on Facebook this morning and like an, uh, someone had posted a memory and I had no idea what today was my mum's like funeral versary. Is that a thing? Funeral versary? Yeah, the date um, of her funeral. And I like, I was like, oh my God. And I had no idea. And they like had the memory of her, um, what do you call the funeral pamphlet? The, uh, <laughs> oh, what's it called? Order of service. The order of service. Yeah. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, but there was, so this is another little sign story. I feel like I've got little, lots of little signs at the moment. 
Um, oh, so yes. One... Is this from the other night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Such a good, yeah, such a good one. So, it, Sal, I just sent you before the order of service. You can see the songs that were played at my mum's funeral. So long-time listeners will know my mum's a huge Joni Mitchell fan. That's pretty much all she would listen to on repeat. Like, all right, mum, like, we get it. And um, Sal took me to the Joni Mitchell tribute uh, band, which was amazing and really emotional. Lots of crying happened that night. Um, but Sal and I had our first big interview on ABC Radio with Indira Naidu, who was also one of our previous podcast guests. And I was super nervous going on, not going to lie, because it was like live radio, at least with our podcast, we can edit it out if we, you know, forget what we're talking about. But like live radio, it was just that pressure to show up and like get it right. <laughs> um, and I had like my family listening in and I was getting messages come through right before we were going on. They go, oh, my God, they're playing Joni Mitchell. They're playing Joni Mitchell. Like, what the hell? I was like, oh, my God. And then afterwards, we, we chatted to Indira for about half an hour, but afterwards you're like, oh, my God, Im, what song would be like the song if they were to play like one a sign from your mom? And I was like, Big Yellow Taxi would be one. And guess what the fucking song was? Big Yellow Big Taxi. Yellow taxi. <laughs> incredible yeah so my mom was listening um to us on the radio and that was her little way of saying I'm here I'm tuning in mm. um yeah so that was really funny but then yeah obviously on the order of service it had big yellow taxi so I love that and also <laughs> just back to like feeling exhausted like I think give yourself some grace mate the anniversary was last week you know what I mean <sighs> these things just don't like <laughs> It's not like, like, ping, I'm great now. Like, oh my you know, God, was it last week? Yeah, Fucking there's a lot. Hell. Like, these things take a toll on us physically, emotionally. Mm. Don't, like, you know, don't forget that there's probably that happening for you as well. Yes. Yep. That'd be, that'd be a, a major kind of thing happening. And yeah, it's going to be a big few months for me. Um, got lots of stuff coming up around my mum's stuff that was a great sentence good good English <laughs> so you've got to take care of yeah. yourself yeah that's like really important and guys let's not forget our book is out now in the UK Ireland Europe as well as Australia and New Zealand bloody global we are I feel like no one's going to forget because we haven't stopped ramming it down their throats. Like we bang on about it, but we've had some lovely messages, haven't we, from people oh. saying they found us through our book or fans oh, the, of the pod. The email that we got from that beautiful girl who found us through yeah, she just found the book, so she obviously hadn't like found Good Morning yet, but she stumbled across our book and was like, "Oh my god, there's nothing like this in Australia." It's been so helpful reading this real and raw, honest accounts of loss. So that was beautiful, and thank you to everyone who has sent us their feedback so far so so lovely and we're so grateful and drop a little sneaky review wherever you bought your book as well because that will help the book be seen by other people but yeah thank you for all your love and support you can grab a copy of good morning honest conversations about grief and loss online in all major bookstores and independence as well and if you're reading it, we'd love it if you could share it on social. Give us a cheeky tag because we absolutely love seeing where you're reading the book and how it's helping you. So anyway, enough of us, <laughs> enough of the book. We could bang on about it for ages. But today's guest, some of you actually might already be familiar with her because she co-hosts two of Australia's most popular podcasts, isn't she, Im? 
She does. So Jessie Stevens is a writer. She's a producer and co-host of two podcasts, Mamma Mia Out Loud and Cancelled. Jessie is also the author of Heartsick, which is an incredible book about a big form of grief that I don't think gets enough attention. And we actually haven't touched on this at all um, through Good Morning yet. It's heartbreak and not the heartbreak that comes from a death, but from relationship breakup. So it's a very, very big big heartbreak, you know, and I think it is time to talk about it. So have you, let's start by, you know, you telling us your experience, Sal, have you had your heart broken? I can't imagine you would, but you're just such yes. a legend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have. And it was bloody awful. And it was twice with the same person a few years mm. apart. Um, and it could be, it could really deep both times. And it really yeah. took my self-esteem and just bashed it to bits it was really hard both times so what about you Im? I mean yeah I feel like I've had lots of boyfriends (laughs) not a fun (laughs) fact about me I've had lots of boyfriends how many are we talking I've had a fair few too but like how many is lots like really think about it probably I don't know like a lot maybe like eight or something (laughs) that's a lot isn't it my first ever relationship was when I was about 14, 15, and it was a very, very toxic one. So that was probably the most heartbreak I've experienced around that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other relationships, like I loved them, but I don't think I, I don't think I was fully in love with them to have my heart broken. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting, but I know now I think if something happened with Ben and I, I would be absolutely devastated. Like mm-hmm. I would not, don't know how I would come back from that, but yeah, I think my first relationship was really toxic and um, I had to do a lot of healing from that and also a lot of like cycle breaking to make sure I didn't go back into that kind of relationship again because mm. I know that can be quite common. Um, yes, it was the same for me as well, actually. Good that you did mm. it when you were 15, though. Mine was like Bashing when I was like yeah. <laughs> 28, 29, but, you know, 15, get it done, job done. Um, <laughs> but it is quite wild, isn't it, when you think about how much a breakup And that heartache that can come from a relationship ending and not just a romantic relationship, all sorts of relationships with family as well, friendships. Yeah, Mm. it can impact us so much. Yeah, it's a form of grief that we really just do not acknowledge as much. And Jessie is doing massive work to help change that through this incredible book. Yeah, it's like a disenfranchised grief, isn't it? And I love that. Yeah, I love and I like that we have a term for it too. You know, Mm. it's one that society doesn't really acknowledge or talk about enough. And I love that Jessie is giving heartbreak a voice and sharing the stories of others who have coped with this type of loss because it is a loss. Yeah, it's a huge loss. Um, So guys, strap yourselves in because we're talking all things heartbreak today. I think we can all probably relate to this one. If you've got a friend who is going through a breakup or a difficult time, then you're going to want to share this episode. Let's jump in. So this is actually the first time on this podcast that we've branched out from the really fun and light topic of death to explore a different type of loss that doesn't actually get as much airtime, but it bloody well should. And that is the grief that can come after the loss of a relationship or a breakdown of a relationship. And who better to talk to us all about it and fellow podcaster and author of best-selling book, Heartsick, Jessie Stevens. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really really appreciate it. We've heard you say, Jessie, that 
your worst heartbreak actually followed a relationship that you say never quite happened. So mm. can you tell us about that? And also, did it inspire you to write about the topic of heartbreak? I call it an almost relationship and it is happening to a friend of mine right now and I feel for him so much. But it was, I had been in long-term relationships that had ended and absolutely had my, I was just listening to something where, where someone said it, it feels like your sternum cracks and it's so mm. true. Like you actually feel, and anyone who understands grief will know that feeling of going, oh, this doesn't feel like a metaphor. This feels mm. like a literal breaking of my chest. Yes. And I had certainly had that. Uh, but the most surprising heartbreak I'd experienced was with this um, guy who I'd been seeing for, you know, maybe not even two months. Um, but I had met him and felt as though everything was falling into place. Like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. All the heartbreaks before it were totally worth it. We just felt like we were on the same page. Um, I did the thing where you like retroactively everything they are. You're like, this is what I've been waiting for. I always wanted someone who is exactly like this. And I felt as though he was just as keen on me. Like there wasn't that mm. game. We weren't playing that game. And I, you know, finally, like I told friends and family about it and I was all in. And then I, yeah, it was about two months in and he hadn't responded to one of my texts. And I started getting that feeling of profound anxiety. Um, and I was going, oh, no, this doesn't feel right. And then eventually, it was two days or something, he called me and he said that he'd gotten back with his ex who he was with just before me um, and felt like he needed to give it an, another shot. Um, and it's kind of a testament to how much I still needed him to like me that I was on the other end going, that's so fine. Like, I really hope that you get what you need out of that, blah, blah, blah. I remember putting the phone down and just sobbing. And the next day... I called in sick from work and I felt sick. Like I felt physically mm. sick from the whole thing. And I was so ashamed that this wasn't even a relationship. But what I realized was that it was the hope. I was in that early stage of I'd imagined that future together. Mm. I had so much hope. I hadn't seen the ugly bits of him yet. So it was still a total fantasy. Mm. Um, and I felt like I'd let myself down or I'd let some part of myself show that meant that he couldn't love me fully or whatever it was and now when I'm speaking to friends or people after this book about it I just I totally know that feeling of rejection because it's not just um, the grief of losing them but the self-loathing that you're left with this sense of of rejection and and I think that it's an assault on the on the ego that you then have to process which is an awful awful experience <laughs> absolutely and you've articulated all of that so mm. well like and the title of your book heart sick you know it is you do feel physically sick and it's the same as the grief of losing a loved one that a lot of our listeners have gone through like you feel sick don't you and it just reminds me sal of this um so we've set up a uh hotline that people can call and let us know what their griefy confessions are and we had this one lady call and she's like I've been through so much trauma lately like her son had died her mum had died and someone else had died in the span of like a few months and she's like I'm going through a breakup right now and I'm not coping and in comparison to all of the grief that I've gone through why is this the one 
that's standing out for me and hurting so much. And I was like, wow, it's really interesting. But like, it is you just, it's so hard to cope. Yeah. It's, it's the rejection as well. And like you say, mm. like, it's a deep shame. It's like, it kind of unpicks like your sort of your insides, doesn't it? And you've got to kind mm. of figure out like who you are and patch yourself back together. And it makes you question yourself. And I've been in a, yeah, similar situation. It's like, like the elusive kind of ones sometimes can hurt the most. And I think it's because there's that, those question marks, right? The question marks that just leave you feeling like you, you doubt yourself, I think. And anyone who's experienced any amount of grief will know that closure is a myth and that mm-hmm. there is no such thing and that you can try and process something. There's no day you wake up and go, oh, I've processed that. Like it will, like it stays with you and it, it defines you in, in a lot of, ways and I think that you're just left with these questions that often you can't ask so there's no such thing as closure and the the thing about having someone that you loved um, move on they're still in the world they're still where they always lived but they're living a, a life completely disparate to you feels just incomprehensible you just think what is it where did it go wrong and also I think it questions your reality because often you're like I thought we were in this great relationship or I thought that we were having this shared experience and and we clearly weren't because you've moved on um and so while they and I've had this experience too um you know there would be a breakup and they move on very quickly often um if they have been thinking about it for longer than they've actually processed it and moved on. So he was out dating and meeting new people. And I was still on the sh- you know floor of the shower sobbing going, how can he move on so quickly? There's, there's that as well. There's a contrast of your own experience. And then I think social media has com- compounded it. Mm. You can see a very, you know, stylized image of what they're experiencing which is that their life goes on and you can check at any moment and their life often looks really really good um and that's an added heartbreak I think definitely and just back onto the topic of like there being no closure we seem to be living in a world where ghosting has become a normal thing so like a lot of people are getting ghosted like you said you didn't you know he didn't respond to you straight away but that feeling of just not knowing why they don't want to be with you anymore or what you've done wrong or anything like that is just really, really hard. It's just such a weird world. Exactly. And I think that dating, and this is part of me wanting to write this book, dating is kind of relegated to the columns in the paper that are a bit like they're for women and they're a bit silly and ghosting is a bit cute and, Mm. um, oh my God, here are 10 tips and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, there's a place for that. But ghosting is its own type of grief. And it's something that I wasn't seeing, you know, culturally being taken seriously. If it did come up in a television show or a book, I felt as though it wasn't, I never felt what the character actually felt, which made me feel as though I was ultra sensitive or weak or why is it that I can't handle this, but everyone else seems to be able to? And if there's one thing I've realised, it's that men and women who are in this, you know, dating space, even dating um, comes with it an an element of those mini griefs because Mm. I think a lot of us feel as though we're not 
designed for it. 50, 100 years ago, whatever it was, um, you didn't, you weren't rejected this often. Like when you're on mm. a dating app, you can be rejected multiple times in a day. And I was just going, I'm not built for this. Mm-hmm. Like I am already, and I think that if you're self-esteem and especially in, in our 20s, although it happens all throughout our life, if our self-esteem is um, shattered, then you kind of lean in looking for someone to fill mm-hmm. that. But you also don't have the resilience to cope with rejection. So it gets worse and worse and worse. Your standards lower and lower and lower. Mm. Um, and you end up in some really toxic, dangerous situations is, is how I found it. When you've not processed, whether it's a big heartbreak or a small heartbreak, you've kind of put that in a box mm. because, and this is what I write about in the book, I felt as though my friends and my family um, you know, maybe gave me a two-week window where you could have a bit of a cry, a bit of a complain, and then it was like, all right, get back on the horse. Like, there are other people out there. And I was still, so all you do then is go and um, uh, grieve privately, which is really hard. And I think heartbreak, it's what is known as like an ambiguous loss. So it's like a loss that isn't always acknowledged by society. So it's like a little bit disenfranchised. People might not give it the same airtime as like a death loss. So like you say, you feel like you've got a little bit of time to grieve and then you've got to kind of take your pain and your sorrow and do it in private. And that's really hard because heartbreak is absolutely a form of, you know, it's a massive grief and it's a massive experience we all have. And I remember reading an article that you wrote that said heartbreak remains a form of grief that we don't quite know what to do with. Mm. Why do you reckon it's such an underplayed category of grief? Uh, Because I think that there is an extra layer of shame. Mm. So there's a, when you lose someone and in our family just over the last, you know, two years or so, um, we've had, you know, multiple losses and, it's crippling and and you think I cannot deal with another loss and then it hits you and you just think how how could this happen Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that there's it is in my specific situation it's not laced with shame it's very it's a very different mixture of emotions which I also think our culture doesn't perfectly deal with but there's funerals and there's ritual and there's language but then when it comes to heartbreak because there are those levels of self-loathing. They're not cool or sexy things to talk about. And I found that with, with the book is that putting it in writing, you feel, oh, my God, what if no one else feels this? Like, what if this is just me? Um, and because there is no ritual, there's nothing for us really to do except move on. Um, I think think culturally there aren't any markers of like this is the end or this is where you get to stand there and cry and get your moment of cathartic release there's there's no such thing and the reason that you know I I chose a story as I did in the book is because um just as uh the loss of someone um in the case of death upends a life so too does someone leaving you so it's one thing in, in my case, you know, to whether it's being ghosted or a two-week almost relationship and eventually you do kind of move on. But with the cases, the stories that I looked at, 
it completely upends your life and you have moments of like where do I live who am I what do I do tomorrow night I have lost not only this person but their friends and their family um it throws off the course of where you thought your future was going uh and that is you know its own kind of um trauma although I think that that word is very overused uh but yeah it's its own type of pain I think Definitely. And I think like, because it's not a death loss, people don't see it as grief worthy, you know, and they just, I think you should, you should be over it. Mm. I mean, that, you know what, to be honest, the reason why we're doing this podcast is because the death, like when someone dies, it's still the same, you know, our society just doesn't even make room for that really. So I can imagine how heartbreak is seen as a lesser form of grief, but yeah, it's so interesting. And I think Sal and I, like we met our partners on Tinder, no judgment. <laughs> it was like way back when, when like there was no other dating app options other than Tinder. <laughs> now, you know, it's not really the place to go, but no judgment there. But it's just, I think it's just too convenient now. And people don't yeah. see other people as human beings either. You know, yes, they're exactly. just wiping or left or right, whichever way you go these days. I don't know, but like we've lost that human connection even though we're more connected than ever it's a, it's a strange thing it's it can be really dehumanizing um mm. especially when you are if you are someone who is seeking a deep connection and you want a long-term relationship which is something that is horrifyingly embarrassing to admit like I don't mm. think anyone I felt as though I was suppressing that for a lot of that period of my life. Like I, I mm. you don't want to tell someone that that's what you're looking for because you look way too full on. Um, but it was. And like I felt dehumanised and as though I was um, always asking for too much. Um, and, yeah, to, to experience something that hurts and then to one week, two, week, two weeks later put yourself in the same situation really taxing mm. on on your soul and so and I, I saw this one of the things I explore in in the book is the difference between how men and women cope and I looked at how women um more so than men have have a little bit of a script and sort of know um that they can get their girlfriends around them and you know you might write a list of everything you always hated about them and you'll watch some rom-coms or whatever. In yes, the list. Definitely <laughs> been there with the list. Girls got it women. Love a list. An emotional vocabulary that can yeah. be helpful. Men, on the other hand, often have absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, and they don't have the words. They weren't primed since they were five to expect to be broken up with. Women at least go, oh, yeah, I've been watching movies and Disney whatever since I was a kid and I expected that I would be rejected by someone one day men don't um and I I looked at all this research and, and we can see that men's mental health um in particular is really vulnerable after the breakdown of a relationship uh mm -hmm. and that's another thing that we are very reluctant to talk about like clearly this is critical to people's well-being yet we don't check in with each other enough if you went into work and said can I have a week off because 
you know, I've just been dumped. I think your boss would roll their eyes. Um, and that's not necessarily the, the best thing for you to do, but um, it isn't something that, that we respect, certainly. I think that mm-hmm. the, you feel quite weak if you can't just put your shoulders back and get on with it. Totally. And I think that's really interesting, that point you raised, like culturally women are expected to experience heartbreak, but men not so much. That's actually Mm. a really bloody good point. And I feel like just back to the kind of topic of dating online and apps and stuff, it's almost like we feel like we're quite disposable, right? Yeah. Not interested anymore. I'm going to ghost them or just, you know, swipe on. And, and that like, you kind of need to be vulnerable to connect with people, right? But then also, if you're getting rejected left, right, and center, there's a there's an element where you you kind of want to protect yourself, right? Yeah. So then dating becomes very hardened. Like you you mm. go out to dinner with someone and it's t- two people, you know, they talk about it on The Bachelor all the time about having your walls up or whatever, but you go and sit, like go out to dinner and it's two people who are terrified to connect. Um, because you know what the cost is and you're also like if I invest in this I know how much it hurts Um, and is it even worth it like I definitely felt that um, lots of times and then and then you bring you know the grief or the the hurt from the last relationships into the next one whether it's feeling insecure or um, feeling as though the person's going to lose interest like and that's a shameful thing to talk about as well, because a lot of it looks like you don't have very high self-esteem or you're not someone, there's this idea that you have to be a fully formed, self-realized person to even be worthy of love. And I really don't think that's true because what you do then is blame everyone who's not in a relationship. And it's like, well, if you just loved yourself a bit more, then people would be attracted to you, but you have more work to do. And I'm really, the work, I just go, yeah. I I think that that's, again, another way of just blaming people for their own pain instead of accepting Mm. that that's life. That's the messiness of what we're all going through all the time. Like there is no amount of work that's going to make you fine all the time. Like Mm. It's so true. And the older I'm getting, I sort of realise, like, I wish I knew this back when I was sort of in the dating scene, but everyone is just walking around with so much shit in their life. Like everyone's got stuff going on. And when people ghost us or they break up with us, we always think it's to do with us, but really everyone's going through so much and it's actually about them. And I wish I had that wisdom back when I was in it thinking (laughs) it was me, there's something wrong with me. Um, But yeah, everyone's got stuff going on, right? I have a line in in the book about um, how Katy Perry was, I remember watching Katy Perry's documentary. I don't know why this helped me so much, but she was dumped by Russell Brand. And I remember thinking, oh my God, she's Katy Perry. Like she is at the top of her game. Russell Brand really like, and that really helped. And then I saw that, you know, a, a serial killer has three girlfriends when he's in prison. And I was like, if we needed any indication that being in a relationship has nothing to do with your self-worth, like heartbreak happens to the best of us and the worst of us, and it is not a, an indication of who we are. I remember going to a um, psychologist, and this was after a series of kind of bad relationship experiences, and I sat down and I said, you know, I'm the common denominator. I'm trying to be objective about this. 
work out what I'm doing wrong, what's wrong with me, why I'm not enough, um, and then that will help me. And she sort of asked me a few questions and then she said, you're having a string of bad luck. Like, this is, this is luck. And I couldn't believe that because I think self-help will have you believe that everything is always in your control mm-hmm. and it's not. It's you can just have a string of people who are in a weird place. I also think it can be age, um, what people are looking for, all that kind of stuff. And to have her say, like, stop with the trying to work out what's wrong with you, um, just keep keep going or whatever, was a real relief. It's interesting what, what um, you were saying about uh, the listener who said, She'd experienced all this really hard stuff, but it was the mm. heartbreak that, that mm. was getting her. I remember speaking to someone who said they'd lost their grandfather who they were really, really close to, um, didn't cry at the funeral, was dumped by someone that they'd broken up with. They'd been on and off with for years and they just couldn't stop crying. And they were going, this is the height of selfishness. Like I couldn't cry for my grandfather, but I can cry about my own heart. But mm. I think that the... Sadness is really complicated and that sometimes it can be compounded. It can be cumulative. So it's Mm -hmm. the abandonment that we felt by someone leaving us like too soon or in, in the case of death, when we feel that abandonment again, I think we can grieve for multiple things at once. Um, And the idea that people leave us, before we're ready for them to leave us is like a human truth that that we never get comfortable with. And we can't ever get comfortable with because if we all honestly knew how, you know, unstable the ground we stand on is, then we couldn't get out of bed. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's too scary. And it's the same with every, you know, romantic partner. If we really accepted that they could change their mind tomorrow, then you would never build a life with anyone. So you've kind of got to lean into a bit of a fantasy Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's why when it disappears, it's so kind of shocking, I think. So bloody true. So bloody true. And I love that, that sense of abandonment. I don't love that, but, you know, the abandonment abandonment is, is is so, so painful. And I think other people as well can make, heartbreak really difficult because if they don't know how to support you or deal with it very much like grief you know I think we can sometimes tend to recoil from the painful emotions and and you have said in your book that we lack a language for heartbreak hitting the nail on the head like how can we help ourselves express our pain I think I've always found that I never really understand things or know how I feel until I write them down Mm-hmm. And I think because, you know, to even suggest that heartbreak needs another book written about it is, is funny because people have been writing about it since the beginning of time. But I would say that most of it is in love songs or sad songs that are like kind of um, cute and wrapped in a bow, which, which isn't how I wanted to convey it. So I think there was an element of vulnerability and shame and ugliness that that I wanted to show in this and by speaking to people and building those relationships 
um, with a young man, because that's a specific experience, a woman with kids, and also someone who is in a same-sex relationship, I wanted to convey the universal nature of this thing that we also, um, I haven't seen portrayed in, like, why don't we have more films or more books about people in same-sex relationships and that heartbreak? We hardly ever see mm -hmm. that. It's always men and women, often it's young, um, often it's the man leaving the woman, and that's not the reality of the world we live in. So I thought about that and I thought about ritual and what that would look like. And is it, um, and I think that people do this with, with grief instinctively, is we dive into it. Like we know that we've got to let ourselves fully feel it and experience it. So if it is reading books or listening to songs or putting everything that they ever gave us into a box and kind of putting it away. Burning um, it. Burning <laughs> it. Then that's at least some symbolic processing. Like mm. I was reading about how grief needs, needs to move. Um, and whether that is having a good cry or, or doing, like, you know how people often say after the death of a loved one, it's like that first few weeks, there's so much to do. Mm. Um, and so you're quite distracted. But then it's like after that, when you are left with whatever the hell just happened, you're like, but what do I do today? Like, I don't know what to do with this. So I quite liked that, that idea. There was a I looked at this um, uh, place in, in Africa, Africa called Bur Burkina Faso, I think it's called, um, and they have a grief ritual where it's, it's all the time and um, it can be heartbreak, it can be death, it can be anything that you're experiencing enormous pain over. You don't have to tell anyone what happened, but you walk up to this altar and people are like stamping their feet and they're yelling and they're crying and they're chanting and the only thing that they chant is... Um, uh, we can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. Wow. So it's this idea that all of this pain is in all of us all the time, but it is the, there is something quite soul destroying about the denial of it and the suppression of it. And that's what they believe. Mm. They, they believe there that um, if you don't move, if the grief doesn't move, then it calcifies and it sticks. Mm. And, and then it, it actually manifests in some kind of ailment or, um, pain or something so they're like we need to constantly move it but I thought it was really interesting that um that in that culture heartbreak is considered one of those the a, a valid grief that in the same way you know that um in in our culture I think another type of grief that we don't talk about is like being fired or being let go of the job it's like we don't have anything to do with with those kind of sadnesses um, and so I loved, I loved that idea that it has to move. I love that too. I think we need to, we should all do a little bit of that. And it reminds me Im, of when we spoke to Dr. Edith Eager, um, you know, she says suppression leads to depression, doesn't she? Yes. I was thinking about that. You've got to release this stuff and, you know, Western society, we're so good at suppressing it. We don't want to 
yell. We don't want to show our pain because we fear that people are going to judge us. And it's just not a, it's just not a safe place to release. And what we need to do when we're grieving is release this pain. You know, it goes back to as well, the body keeps the score. Yeah. All the painful and emotional things that you go through, stay trapped in your body and actually stick in your cells in your body. And if you're not releasing that, it's making you ill. Yeah. Back to and, heart sick, you know. <laughs> yeah. And for, for women, I think um, it's more acceptable to cry. But the women also feel anger like we feel a lot mm. of anger in the wake of this stuff and that's a really um unpopular or kind of punished emotion in women so we have mm. anger come up and often it will manifest in tears because we know that we can't show it because that's just you know unfeminine or, or whatever mm. like what do women get to do with their anger I remember my my gran who experienced a lot of grief through her life in her later years, ended up getting a punching bag in her. Yes, Gran. In her, <laughs> Love that. Tiny lady, and she got it in her, like, carport, and she just went and punched it. And I was like, oh, I know that feeling of just needing to do that. And, and men get to show um, anger but don't get to show tears. Like, that's something that we... Mm. And I loved just the, the other week looking at um, Federer and Nadal uh, finishing Federer was finishing his tennis career and watching these men cry, um, not because they lost, but because it was a type of grief. And like, that's mm. got to be modeled more and more so that we feel like it's not something abnormal when we see it publicly. Absolutely. Yes. And I think with anger, especially, you know, anger is something that we're told we have to keep inside. So you've got this anger that you've got to already kind of try and hide. And then people don't want to acknowledge grief. So it's wrapped in something else that people yeah. don't want to acknowledge. So it's like this double kind of, you, you know, and it can just manifest and manifest and you've got to let it out. But it's really like it's we do need a model for being able to express these really difficult emotions. Exactly. Our, our listeners will know. So my mom died by suicide and the anger was like the most prominent emotion that I felt after it happened. Like I didn't really like the sadness didn't come until a lot later until I processed a lot of it, but I was full of rage, yes. like so much rage. And I really lent into it. Like I'd go in the car and I'd drive around and I'd scream in the car with the music blaring, just, you know, somewhere private, but you need to release it. And journaling is really good for that too. Like rage scribbling, getting yeah. it all out. Yeah. And it's a human, it's a really human understandable response to something mm. um, where, yeah. And, and, and I just think that within women, it's a really, it's a really complicated thing because I feel it when anger bubbles up in me and I go, I like, then it's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like I hate that part of myself, but that just makes mm. anger worse. And then it comes out in these really awful ways that I'm like, oh my God, who is that? And so that's such a great idea to be, to be in a car and yell or, or whatever. That's why I loved with the grief altar, like just people, mm. I had something the other day where I was sitting in a room and I just was like, I just want to shout. Nothing in particular. I just want to like scream because of the anger I'm feeling about this thing or, or whatever. And we don't get to and like it goes somewhere. Like it's not good for us. You don't do it in the mum and me offices. I feel like <laughs> Mia would be all over that. She's like, right, ladies, let's have a scream. 
thing. You know what? The podcast studios are a little bit soundproof. So I think that maybe I could go and just <laughs> I think so. Yeah, give it a go. Let's know how you go. Um, and the- Jesse, Jesse oh. you mentioned like rituals earlier and like how you explored that in your book. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have a lot of rituals for grief, like the funeral. Yeah. Um, but what about heartbreak? Like what rituals can we create for that type of loss apart from like obviously setting their clothes on fire and you know all that stuff I think of it as you were saying things things like journaling are actually really really good because that's a form of movement um and I don't think that we should minimize the it can feel petty but it is still ritual um how people will like go through their social media profiles and delete photos delete numbers um putting their things aside uh redoing your space people will go and often like uh get women will always go and get a haircut or like change the color of their hair. That's a sort yes. of reinvention that we do in the wake of a heartbreak. Um, and that, like, I, I think that we kind of go roll our eyes at it, but I really respect it. I really respect it as an attempt to process something. And I also think that that ritual and what a funeral allows us to do is um, is have space around it and to lean into it to have this cathartic moment. And so designing cathartic moments where you can have a big cry. And I was um, thinking recently with, with funerals, it's like everyone comes and they're in nice clothes and they've ironed their shirt and they're not at work today and they're not looking at their text messages And what all of that signifies is this is a thing that matters more than anything else. This is a thing that really, really matters today. Because I think in the wake of the death of someone, you just look around and you go, how is that cafe open? How is that person still, like, why is the world still spinning? The world has just ended. Doesn't everyone know that the world has just ended? And so when you go to a funeral, like, and and this is why I think, the aftermath of a funeral is, sh- is so shocking because you go, we're all standing here going, this never should have happened. This is fucked. Um, how we are all kind of processing this, but it's a real sense of community. But we're not going to get that for heartbreak because no one, no one knows what you've just lost. Mm-hmm. So w- when someone dies, there's a thing of like everyone had those relationships with them and it's different and it's complicated, but everyone had their own thing. You know that when there's heartbreak, you're like, no one else gets this because no one else knew what a Sunday night felt like or that experience that I had six years ago on the beach and that conversation we had and no one had ever seen me like that. So we're not seen in, in the same way. So we have to do a lot of work privately which I think is is what hurts so in that way definitely writing and definitely um having some forming some community that you feel like you can talk to people about it and finding that one or two people who you can just speak to who will give you some time and that's something that I think friends can take away is it just because your friends stop talking about it doesn't mean they're all right often I, I would still be checking in a month two months like down the track to just know that you acknowledge that that was a really hard thing. Yes, 
some great suggestions there. And I think because there is that element of shame, it can also make it really hard to confide in people too. You know, yeah, it's going to yeah. make it really hard to talk about it and tell anyone. The the research that I did, I was shocked at those statistics Yeah, because it just shows how vulnerable we are, mm-hmm. um, how maybe we don't know how to reach out. And I think this now, I, I just think um, people who are like, you know, in the wake of a divorce, we just don't have the apparatus and, and the um, structure around that grief to like reach out and say, no, seriously, are you okay? Yeah. Not just like, oh, I'm so sorry, you'll be fine. He was a dick or whatever. It's yeah. like, or she was a dick or whatever. You, We don't even know where to start often. Um, and that, that was just horrifying to me, I, I think, because... I mean, that that indicates the profound level of pain that mm. people are in and that it is human relationships that, I mean, they just mean so much to us. It's, yeah, it's just so, so awful. I just love that you are shining a light on this topic of grief and I think it's something that needs to be talked about more mm. often and we've really appreciated all of your insights today. We've learned a lot. Uh, and yeah, where can um where can our listeners find you, Jesse, and your incredible book? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at Jesse Stevens ninety on Instagram. Um, and my book it's on Booktopia. It is um in the UK and the US as well at the moment. Um, Audible for people who I've gotten really into audiobooks. Love that. <laughs> um, you can find it there or any bookstore near you. And um, thank you so much for what for what you do we've as I said had a lot of grief in our family and it's a really hard thing to talk about and to have a platform like this I know means that you're also taking on a lot of other people's grief which can be taxing Mm -hmm. Um, and it's an incredibly generous um, and empathetic thing to do so thank you so much for for everything you do and for acknowledging that you know heartbreak is a type of grief too especially when you've experienced one of the worst types of grief a person can go through. How good is Jessie? I feel like we could just talk to her for hours. She's so good. Lucky to have connected with her. And guys, we hope you enjoyed this conversation and took some things away from it. Um, if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review. Didn't mean to wrap that, but I just went with it. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast as it can help the pod get seen by other people who may need it. And don't forget, guys, we wrote a book. Just going to say that one last time. <laughs> just in case the, you forgot you can find the link in the show notes we wrote a book. <laughs> it's really good it's really bloody good <laughs> yeah and you can rate or review our book as well so thanks for listening and we will be back next time with another interesting conversation about grief thanks guys yeah.